And we, uh, we stopped in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, we, we will pick up with verse 2 tonight. If you remember, verse 1, I think, is more a part of chapter 3. And so we'll begin um, with verse 2. Uh, let's just read all the way to the end of the chapter. We won't cover all of that tonight, or we might, because uh, after about verse 6, this is greetings. And so there's not a whole lot of doctrinal truth there, a little bit, but we'll touch on those. We'll spend quite a bit of time on verses 2 through 6, but let's read all the way to the end. Paul writes this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one with you, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's, uh, let's recount what Colossians in its entirety has been about. It's been about new life in Christ. What it means to follow this new life in Christ. If you will remember, uh, we believe that this letter was written in order to counteract, contradict, some false teaching that had arisen, we believe that that false teaching had primarily to do about the deity of Jesus, whether or not he was really the Son of God. Paul spends four chapters establishing the fact that the whole of the plan of God comes through Christ Jesus, that the entirety of the new life for believers is found in Christ Jesus, that our being is found in Christ, that our purpose is found in Christ. He, he, he makes Christ the center of this, uh, of this epistle in order to contradict this false teaching. We've worked through it all the way to here, and uh, he's talked about what this new life is about. We'll back up a little bit. Remember he told us if we kind of work in reverse order, uh, put on compassion, put on kindness. Above all, he said, put on love. He's, uh, he's encouraged us to um, um, forbear with one another, to test the teachings of others, to maintain our purity and make, make sure that we are living a Christ-centered life. He comes to this section and he then, um, he, he begins this section talking about prayer. 
We're going to begin in verse 2 talking about that. If you divide verses 2 through 6 into two divisions, and there is sort of a natural division in uh, verses 2 through 6, um, you could divide verses 2 through 6 into two pieces. The first part being uh, speaking to God about people, and then the second part speaking to people about God. So let's begin with uh, speaking to God about people. He says in verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, let me comment right off the bat. As we read this, did any of you pick up where Paul is writing this from? He's in jail. He's in prison. So he, now it's not prison like what we would think about. This would be more akin to like house arrest. He can have people visit him. He can have people come bring him provisions. He has people that, that care for him. Um, but he is, in, he's not free to go wherever he wants to. What's interesting to me about that is that he talks about being steadfast in prayer, being watchful in prayer, and doing that prayer in thanksgiving. Now, uh, if you're like me, you find a person writing to you from prison and saying, when you pray, be thankful. Uh, I might fall into a different attitude. Any of you? Uh, I might have a, an occasion to grumble or to be, um, be less than thankful for my particular lot at that moment. All right? Now, I don't want to condemn any of us. We all are humans. We live in this life. But I want you to notice, the, certainly in this letter, and in, I, would, I, think I, could, I think I'd be on good ground if I said in all of Paul's writings, there is this separation from not the reality of his circumstance, but the consequence of it. He seems to often be above it. He seems to often rise above what would sort of be the normal human reaction to difficult circumstances. Um, and I think that that's what he is doing. I think through his fellowship with the Lord and through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the revelations that have been given him, he finds comfort beyond what his circumstance would seem to allow. I think we see that here as well. He, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, there's a clear admonition to pray a lot here, all right? Uh, Paul has said this in some other places. In fact, there's a verse, and we did this last week too. There's a verse, there's a verse in Ephesians chapter 6. It sounds very much like this verse. Listen to Ephesians 6, 18. Paul writing again, writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, he says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Sounds a lot like him saying, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So there's a clear admonition to pray a lot, but there's another piece in here. Um, when he talks about being steadfast, that, I think that's the occasion or the, uh, the frequency. Pray a lot. Pray steadfastly. Pray often. But then he says, being watchful in it. That's sort of an interesting, sort of an interesting phrase when you, when you think about prayer. Uh, some commentators make this out to be 
an encouragement to be watchful for the coming of the Lord. But that, I don't think, fits what Paul is going to say in the rest of this. I think there's a different connotation. And we're going to hear some of this uh, in some of these other verses. Um, I think he's speaking to the Spirit's work in the life of the person praying. Be watchful. Be, be attuned. Be, uh, be alert. Uh, so how do you do that in prayer? Prayer is a spiritual endeavor. Um, I think it goes right back to what I was saying about some of the things that the Lord's doing in my prayer life during this time of fasting. I think you can pray and be not watching. Sort of go through the motions. Sort of Sort of, is it a bad thing? No, any prayer you do is, I think, a good thing. But I do think Paul is encouraging his readers to be especially attuned and and watching for what the Lord would say and what the Lord would direct and what the Lord would instruct and how the Lord would convict. And be watchful, be mindful of that. um, And do it with thanksgiving. I think we all understand what Thanksgiving means. Um, Celebrate what you've inherited in Christ Jesus. Be thankful for your place in the Lord. Remember, we talked about from verse 3 that you are uh, with God in Christ. Um, All right, there's a pandemic going on. Um, How many of you know Dennis Spencer? All right. Uh, Dennis passed away this afternoon. I got a call from his wife, Margie. Uh, I had seen him just not that many days ago. He'd gone on hospice. They had exhausted all the medical care. Um, I sort of dropped that on you right there on purpose. It's sorrowful. But let me tell you something. Dennis Spencer loved Jesus. He just loved the Lord. Every time we were together recently, we talked about it. He was ready. He was prepared to be in the presence of Jesus. Can, can I look at his death? Watch this. Every time, almost every time, Dennis would stop me in the sanctuary. Wasn't uncommon at all. And do you remember the way he, he kind of had a rhythm to the way he spoke? It was kind of like this. And he would say, Pastor Roy, I want you to know I love you. And you're doing a good job. (laughs) All right? I'll remember, Pastor Roy, I want you to know I love you. And you're doing a good job. I'm sorrowful. But I'm also thankful. See what I mean? It's a hardship. It's a loss. But we don't grieve as other men who have no hope. Paul said. So there is a thanksgiving in it. Thanksgiving for what? I'm going to see my friend again. Amen. I hope, I hope when I get there, he'll say, you did a good job. <laughs> I hope he won't be the only one telling me that. Amen. <laughs> All right. So I think that's what Paul is saying, that there is this thing in Christ Jesus that enables us, even in the most difficult of circumstances to face them with thanksgiving. Thankful that something better is coming. Thankful that this isn't all there is. Thankful that there's relief. Thank you that, thankful that there's ultimate healing, that there's provision, that, that we are not as others who have no hope in anything. Amen? 
Paul is writing this from prison. And he says, be thankful. I think we can. I think his presence, the Lord's presence can give us the ability to be thankful even in the midst of difficult times. In verse 3, he says, at the same time, at the same time that you are being watchful and praying steadfastly, pray for us. <laughs> pray also for us. But he doesn't say, I want you to, well, let's just, let's read this and then you tell me what he doesn't say. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. He says, pray for us. What does he not ask them to pray for? Yeah, get me out of here. Pray that, pray that I'll get a good lawyer instead of this, instead of this person that I have. I'm being careful because there's an esquire in the room right now. This loser I got. No, he, don't, he doesn't say any of that. He doesn't ask for his deliverance from prison. He doesn't ask that. And watch this. What else is unique about what he asked for? There's a unique nature. Anybody see it? He is, but what? But, but wouldn't you or I have as the first condition of me being a real soul winner, being my what? My release. Get me out of jail so that I can go back to pastor my church. He seems to accept the fact that no matter where I am, God has the power, and no matter what circumstance I'm living in, God has the power to create for me an effective door. And we know that he did in Paul's life. Eventually, he ends up between, uh, I mean, in, in front of some very significant people, in chains, imprisoned, before Felix, the, I mean, and Agrippa, the, sort of the king. And eventually, he's thinking he may get to Caesar. All right? Wouldn't it be a powerful, soothing agent to every hardship if we could begin to think that even in the midst of that, God is working out a plan to advance us, advance his kingdom, and glorify his name. And isn't that what, isn't that what it means when Paul also wrote, Behold, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, those who are called according to his purpose. That's, that's what he's saying. That in any circumstance, God can bring about good for you. He says, at the same time, pray also for us. Don't pray for our deliverance. Don't pray for my health. Don't pray for my financial situation. Here's what I really want. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. There is an abandonment to the things of God that begins to make this world and its ability to cause us pain diminish. I don't know that any of us are where Paul is or that we will ever be, but it's a great thing to aspire to. Can you say amen? amen. Lord, let me be so in touch with you that my primary concern is that I could adequately preach the gospel. He uses this phrase, this interesting, um, this, uh, this interesting um, word that you hear in Paul's writings occasionally. And he, he talks about declaring the mystery of Christ. Now, you may not remember, but we've heard this phrase in Colossians before. In chapter 1, 
verses 25 and 26, Paul uses the phrase mystery of Christ and then tells us what it is. So let's go back. Let me recapture Colossians 1, 25 and 26. Colossians 1, 25 and 26. Paul, in sort of his introductory comments, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He uses that phrase mystery. You say, okay, but what's the mystery? In verse 27, he tells you. Let me read it. Let me start in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why is it a mystery? It still is. It still is a mystery to many people. It's even a mystery in, in, in the reality of it among a lot of people that come to church. How is Paul able to rise above the chains or the imprisonment? We don't know that he's actually in chains. Here he was with Silas at one point in time, but we don't think that that's what's going on here. But how is he able to pray not for his deliverance, but pray for an effective door that he might preach the gospel? A couple of things uh, come to mind. Um, and let me, let me illustrate it this way. Um, about two weeks ago, I knelt beside the bed of Pastor Dave's mom. Alice was her name. She passed away. She's in heaven now. And there are moments in a pastor's life where you feel completely inadequate. You just do. This wasn't one of them. There are moments where you wish you could find the right thing to say in order to create peace or rest or give a reason for why something is happening. There are moments that you struggle to, Lord, I just want to say the right thing, do the right thing, so that this won't be painful or awkward or, or any of that. And this wasn't one of those moments. It was one of the rare, perfect moments. Uh, I was kneeling by her bed, holding her hand. And she was within a couple of days of passing away at that point. She didn't have even an ounce of fear. Not an ounce. There was no nervousness. She was completely lucid. There was no, there was no doubt. There were no questions. There were no, Dave and Michelle were there and me. And there was such a sweet presence of God that if she could have reached over and flipped a switch and gone right then, she would have. And if I had been able to reach the switch for me, I might have joined her. No kidding. There was such a sweet presence of God. You just knew, you knew, you knew what was next for her. And she did too. And there was no fear. There was no, it was wonderful. That's, that's what's possible through embracing this mystery of Christ in you. 
she's obviously standing at a door that we're not at. So there's a different mindset. There's a different contemplation. I get that. She's not worried about paying the rent or the house payment or, or, or being sick or what's going to happen to her kids. Or No, she's beyond that. That's where Paul was. And there is a, there is a hope. All right, let's listen to what Colossians 1.27 said again. To them God chose, to his saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles. Colossians, uh, those are Gentile people. In the, in the, if you remember, we read a while ago, there are only two, remember that, of the circumcision all right, that are even with Paul when he's writing this letter. And he, he mentions Onesimus, who is one of you. In other words, not Jewish. So he's writing this to Gentile believers. And he says to them, you need to know that God chose to make known among you, he says, the Gentiles, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Christ in you. Alice Anderson had Christ in her. And it produced the hope of glory. And it removed all of the weirdness that we associate with death when we think about it right now. Last time I saw Dennis, about 10 days ago, he was, he was filled with the hope of glory. Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. That's why he's there. I've had people that I knew that went to prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, I was in Cuba one time and met uh, a gentleman there. Uh, Orson Villa was his name. And he'd been in prison many times by the Cubans for preaching the gospel. Um, Paul I had never met him, but he was Vietnamese. I had friends that spent quite a bit of time with him. Brother I was, and, and I'm not sure if he's living now or in heaven, he was Vietnamese, Vietnam, communist country, and they would lock him up over and over again. And one of the things about Vietnam is malaria is prevalent and people sleep under mosquito nets. And so Brother I would ask for, and they eventually let him have one in prison, a mosquito net. He would always, he said, every night, he said, I would invite another man to sleep under my mosquito net with me. Most of the prisoners didn't have one. And he said, and while he laid next to him, next to me all night long, I would tell him the story of Jesus. <laughs> he said, and before the morning light, he would be a believer. And the next night, I would invite a different man to sleep under the mosquito net. An effective door opened even in those situations. Here's what, one of the things I'm asking the Lord to do through the fast for us. Lord, give us the ability in the difficult seasons of life, we're living through one right now, to not only focus our minds on what we've lost, but ask you to give us an effective door of opportunity. That's one of the things that I believe God's doing in creating a divine moment out of this pandemic. You can't see it coming yet, but if you'll start asking him to, he's going to use you in a divine moment in someone's life or perhaps in yours that you can't see coming and it's coming out of the hardship of the, of the COVID-19 thing. If all we ever focus on, however, is what we've lost... We'll miss that. We'll miss the divine moment of God. Paul, I wouldn't have led anybody to the Lord if he'd not been in prison under a mosquito net. Amen? And he's under a net because of what? 
malaria, which kills more people in the world than COVID's ever going to touch. And so it's a disease that forced him to be under a mosquito net in a prison for preaching the gospel. And, and eventually what would happen is he would win so many people in the prison to the Lord that they would kick him out of prison until he'd get arrested again. And then it just happened over and over. He would get arrested and they would put him in prison. He'd win a bunch of people to the Lord. And eventually they'd say, get out of here. You're, you know, you're, you're messing up the whole prison idea here. You know, this is becoming like a big reunion here. People are happy and they, you know, so... God can do some powerful things, can he? Come on, amen? Paul says he's in prison for preaching the gospel. In verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear. He's talking about the preaching of this mystery of Christ. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. It's not the... And listen, I'm not knocking anyone in their methodology. God can use anything. But I've never been wild about street corner preachers. Standing up on a box with a megaphone, telling everybody they're going to hell, preaching about, you know, how bad they are. I never thought that was the most, um, people get saved that way, all right? But I never thought that that was the best preaching mechanism. I always thought that how we live our lives, how people watch us go through life, that's the most effective ministry that any of us will have. And asking the Lord to avail and create for us opportunities where our life and our words can make clear what Christ really means to us. Let me ask you a question. It's a challenging question that I ask myself every now and then. How many people that aren't Christians and that don't go to my church do I engage in conversations about the Lord? It's a pretty small number for me. I bet it's a pretty small number for all of us. But Paul is talking about, Lord, let an effective door of ministry be opened for me so that I may make the mystery of Christ clear, which is how I ought to do it, he says, which is how we ought to speak. Paul speaks of making the mystery of Christ, the hope of glory, plain so that people could see it and so that they would understand and be drawn to God. And that's... That's how we ought to live our lives. Amen? He then says uh, in verse 5, really, this is where it sort of transitions. How to talk to people, uh, how to talk to God about people now, and in, in verse 4 and 5, how to talk to people about God. Then he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. What does that mean? Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. It almost sounds like a cautionary statement, but I don't think it is. I don't think Paul is saying, hey, be careful around outsiders. That doesn't fit in the rest of the language. He's talking about an effective door of ministry to people that don't know Jesus. That's the outsiders he's referring to. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, Some of you probably noticed there's a bunch of equipment around the church that have been paving. They're going to finish paving tomorrow. We'll have a brand new parking lot. It's amazing what you can get for $25 nowadays. That's a huge joke. Something about paying a whopping sum of money. We've, we've, we did the roof. It was a huge number. And now we're doing the parking lot. And it's an even huger. That's not a real word, but it's huger. For something that we're all going to drive home. 
It just seems wrong, but you got to do it. There's a whole bunch of men in the crew. And yesterday, when they started, they started grinding down areas where they needed to grind down the transition pieces and all that. And in the middle of that, I would every now and then, I wanted to see, I'm fascinated by the machines that are doing it. And I'd walk out there and, and I thought, now, Lord, rather than me seeing this as just workers, I got like 20 guys that are here on our property. And I, I bet most of them don't know you. And so, Lord, I'm going to walk around some during this. And, Father, I want you to open an effective door of ministry to these guys, these outsiders. Uh, I had two conversations today. I haven't, I haven't asked anybody they wanted to accept the Lord yet, but I've been talking to them about who we are and what we do and my story. And... Uh, I started off one of those conversations today. Let me show you how easy it is. That, that, that when they, they put, a, um, they put a, um, a, what they call a leveling layer down first. It's a real thin layer, and it covers up all the holes, all that. And then they come back and they put a thick layer. After they do the leveling layer, they, there's a guy, there are three guys. Uh, one of the guys, two of the guys have a reel with a rope on it. Uh, thin rope and it's to make a straight line with and there's another guy that carries this thing that's got a handle and it's got a, a spray can upside down can of paint and he's marking it's white and he's he's putting numbers and how thick this is and and then he, he's and then he has to go all the way across this parking lot making a straight line that's where the seam's going to be and the paving machine follows that white line he's 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 painted so I said hey come here that guy and I said guy doing this job can't be drunk can he <laughs> you know, wouldn't be good. He, said, he, he just busted out laughing. He said, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but no, that wouldn't work too good. And, and so I started talking to him. All right. One of the other guys was, and all I did was just find something from their world to engage with. And then from drunk, I went to my past and my parents and drunk and the Lord. And you see what I mean? You can... Ask the Lord for a door of opportunity. Never know what the Lord will do. Amen? And make it clear. Uh, the, best, the best presentation of the gospel is what the Lord means to you. I didn't quote any scriptures. Uh, I just talked about life. And, and that's easy to tell. It's, you know what you know better than you know the scriptures? You know your story. Tell your story. Talk about what the Lord's done for you. I think that's what Paul is meaning when he says, make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And then he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. The, 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 the scripture talks about redeeming the day or the time for the day is evil. The scripture talks about today is the day of salvation. Um, God will open some amazing opportunities if we just let him. And step into them. Be willing to step in. I want you to know that I wasn't afraid at all to talk to those guys. I think so many people think that it would be hard to speak about the Lord to somebody. To witness. Well, I was a witness, but it, it wasn't scary at all. I was telling my story. I know my story better than anybody. And, and I like machines and I like building stuff. And ask the Lord to create for you effective opportunities for you to share the gospel right where you are 
and then just be willing to step into them. It'll be like falling off a log. It'll be so easy. Uh, ask the Lord to use you to do that. Verse 6, he says, um, let your speech, I love this verse. Boy, if we could get the world to live according to this today, my goodness, it'd be a great world. Let your speech always be gracious. Now, that's why I don't really like the street corner preacher standing on the deal telling everybody about how bad they're going to go to hell. All right? I'm sure that people get convicted by that sometimes and get saved. One of the things that I loved about Dennis Spencer was his grace. He was a gracious individual. He, uh, the first time I met, and I'm, I'm just thinking about Dennis, and so it fits here. First time I met him, I thought, this guy's kind of a librarian. Kind of a nerd. I mean... He kind of, you know, somebody's grandpa that's, you know, worked the same job for 50 years, never been anywhere, probably married to the same person for 100 years, probably, you know, never really committed any sin because he's, you know, all right. And then I started talking to that dude. He was a complete reprobate. <laughs> His mom and dad came to this church for years. He was the black sheep. Um... They, they used to pray for him. His, his mom and dad were great friends with, with Pastor Dave's mom and dad. They used to come and pray for him. Oh, Lord, save him, save him. He was into all kinds of mess. Uh, he was a race car driver. His dad was into building race cars. Dennis was the driver. He went from that to enduro motocross racing. Uh, uh, what they call, um, um, he gave me the word for it. It's not sprint, it's a... Uh, it's not rally. It's a, anyway, they race through the woods, through the forest, jumping over stuff. Not, not like on a track. You got to go from here to here. It's 20 miles. Go, go through the woods. You know, you can get killed. All right. Um, sprint cars, dirt track racing, building engines, built motorcycles. I had him as a librarian. That dude's a complete, <laughs> complete hellion. I mean, you know, all right reprobate in the world drunk I mean you know Pastor Roy I love you you're doing a, I would have never gotten there you know why you know why I didn't connect it because he'd been so changed by the grace he exuded a kindness all of you knew Dennis wasn't he he was just kind I, you may not know these stories I'm, I'm going to do his funeral um, for, for a decade, this ex-motorcycle riding, hard drinking, race car driving reprobate took a ukulele and worked with hospice patients. His phrase was, nobody should die alone. And he would go in and play the ukulele and sing to them. You got it? So transformed by grace. Living it out. My goodness, what, a, what an easy funeral it'll be to do. Amen? I love that shirt that says, live your life so the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's who he was. Um, I never heard him speak a disparaging word about anybody. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. 
always seasoned with, always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So watch this. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. The, the, the scripture also says in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love. So there is this, there is this confrontation of light and darkness. There is this truth and lie. There is this, 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 the gospel and world. So there is a confrontation, but you don't have to be confrontational to do it. You can tell the truth and do it with a loving attitude and with a gracious tone. Um, listen, I'm, 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 I'm pretty apolitical but wouldn't it really be cool to have a leader who spoke graciously again? <laughs> told the truth. Told the line. Did the right thing. Ronald Reagan. Yes. Man, tear this wall down, Mr. Gorbachev. Or, or, or we'll come get you. <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean, like that, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all I'm saying is that we as the body of Christ, we don't have to resort to bullying or badgering or, or belittling or accusing. Um, the truth will out. You remember that phrase? The truth will out. Truth will be known. Truth's going to come out. Truth's going to... We're on the side of right here. And uh, I think some of the, rep, the bad reputation that Christians have gotten is because sometimes we don't remember that. We're supposed to be gracious with the presentation of the gospel. Um, when I was in the military, a lot of guys got a tattoo. I don't have any tattoos. I never thought the, I never understood the, I never understood the purpose of a guy getting anything pierced or getting anything tattooed on your body. I didn't want a girl's name because there were several, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Girlfriends weren't a permanent fixture for me until Leanne, you know. I'm, I'm not going to get some girl's name that I'm not going to be dating in next, next year. Um, but a lot of guys got tattooed on their arm. Kill them all, let God sort them out. I was never in the military for that. I mean, we were there to protect, serve, you know, lift people. So Paul is saying that, listen, when you speak, Christians, do it gracefully. You can deliver really tough stuff gracefully. Um, serving on the executive presbytery, it's, it's a regular occasion that we have to deal with people's credentials. And we have to take a person's life from them and all of their livelihood. And it's a terrible moment. Anybody that would enter into that with any kind of glee is just wrong. We do it with tears in our eyes. We do it with broken hearts. We do it graciously. Um, why? Because, because that's how Jesus would want it done. It's not, it's not joyous. Are the people wrong? Yes, they're absolutely wrong. Some of them horrendously wrong. Some of them criminally wrong. But, but, but we're not sinless. And so we do it with grace. And you do it with kindness. Um, but you do it with truth. When we speak, we should be gracious. It should be seasoned with the truth. It should be seasoned with salt. It should be absolute. Um, but it ought, to be, it ought to be gracious. 
He says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. What is he saying? I think he's saying, resolve this in your mind right now. Resolve that you can be gracious to everyone so that you may know how you are to give an answer. You're representing Jesus. You represent the gospel. You represent the kingdom of God. It's, uh, it's a rare, wonderful thing to find somebody that's always gracious and always kind. Um, and anytime you find them, don't you want to hang out with them? Don't you? Uh, uh, you know, two, two people that have always been like that. Gerald Calloway. Every time I see Gerald after a Sunday, his, his mother-in-law, Sister Wallace, was just like this. When she was still living, she'd be in here after a service, and I'd come in, and she'd say, Oh, Pastor Roy, that is exactly how my husband would have preached that. (laughs) You understand, that was, if you don't know tall cotton, I was in tall cotton, I mean, from the South. In other words, you were were, were doing well. Gerald would, would come up all the time, and he'd say, My goodness, that was a great message. Dennis with his deal. Now, I don't know that those people are always right. But you know, I don't ever argue with them. <laughs> that, that lifting, that edification, that, that graciousness. I don't think every sermon I've preached has been that good. But Gerald Calloway always, I've, you ever, I've never had him come up to me and say, man, I don't think, <laughs> you know, I, I think this is where, and you were here. You know, I'd, never once has he ever, you see what I mean? Just a, just a gracious individual. Gives you something to aspire to. I want to be like him. Um, I think that was the draw. We'll stop with this tonight. We'll stop in that verse because the, the rest will finish next week. I think that was the draw to Jesus. That was what drew people to him. They said, he speaks with one who has authority. So there was a, see what I mean? There was, a, there was an absolute nature to what he said. But he was constantly projecting this great this this compassion this love that drew people to him he was turning over the religious apple carts and people loved him um you can do both you can be gracious and tell the truth um but when you have to deliver something to somebody don't don't take glee in it when it's hard on them when it's confronting them be broken in what you do and do it out of compassion. Um, I'm, 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 and I think if you ask the staff here, there's some ways that I'm an incredible boss to work for. And there's some ways that I'm just lousy to work for. I hate delivering bad news. I'm way too long-suffering with employees that shouldn't be anymore. You know why that is? Because I don't know. I'm not called to be a, I'm not the president of a company. I'm a pastor. I don't want to be a CEO. I want to be a pastor. And I think pastors ought to be patient. Um, Business people, I'd probably drive them right up the wall. You know, because I'm, I'm, I'm slow to make decisions that everybody else sees. My wife says, there are times when she'll say, I haven't really had it here, but other, other people that work for me should say, you need to fire that guy. I'm like, look, we just need to, we just need to, we just need to give that guy. And she's like, oh, da, 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 da. you know, I'm like, you we got to bandage this stuff up. All right. Uh, it's with regularity that we have a conversation. 
because because I'm I'm a pastor. She's a nurse. All right. Um, somebody will she'll come home and tell me about some patient that she's got. Somebody that's got this and that and a tumor here and this and that. And I'll say, man, how, how, how's, how's their family? We, we need to pray for him. She'll say, he's going to die. He's going to die. I'm like, don't tell me that. Come on, let's, let's believe. Let's, let's ask. The, well, we, well, we can pray for him, but then he's going to die. Why? Because she's, she's got a different ministry. She's living in a world where there has to be a person that prepares people for that. I mean, do you understand that any time on her floor, any time somebody doesn't have a pastor, they go, go get Leanne. And she ministers that, but she also speaks the truth. You need to get ready. Your dad's going to die. He's not going to, he's not going to survive this. Let me pray with you to get, all right. I, I'm, I hate that. Come on, we can, we believe. I know the, beep. no, come on, Jesus, you can, come on, you can. You see what I mean? You know, I haven't seen one yet, Lord. This is going to be the first one. I'm going to raise one back. I had somebody ask me a question the other day. I think it was Pastor Dave. He asked me, it was one of the staff. He, he said, uh, I know I was talking today. I don't know if he'd asked me a question or somebody else had. And they said, Pastor Roy, you, you ever feel like praying for somebody to be raised from the dead while you're doing their funeral? And I said, no. <laughs> no. They said, why? I said, because you better be right. You know, when you go, hold on, folks. In the name of Jesus, you know, you put your hand over, over, over on dad, you know. You better get that right. You better get up. All right. <laughs> Watch this, though. I read an account. I read an account that came from Africa of a guy who had been embalmed that the Lord raised from the dead. Any of you remember? Read, did you read that? It, it went around for a while. And that that guy smelled of the embalming fluid for weeks as it came out of his system and the Lord raised him back to life Lord speak loud if you want me to do that you better uh, but I don't know but that the Lord's moving us into a period of time where we have that kind of audacious faith to risk embarrassment and your reputation because you're laying hands on some embalmed guy or girl in a coffin yeah, yeah, that's right, as you should. So, if any of you want me to do that for you, you write it down. Because I want to be able to say, hey, Carol asked, Carol asked me to do this, all right? I want an out. Um, I think that's where Paul was. Paul believed the Lord to be able to do anything, in any circumstance, in any situation. Uh, th this has been fun, talking about these things. But, all right, watch this, guys. I believe what the Bible says. I believe it. I'm not always willing to step out on what I believe, but I, I'm just telling you. There's going to come a moment in history where two guys are going to lay dead for four days in the streets of Jerusalem. And then they're going to get up. 
I don't know that I don't know if they just get up, but wouldn't it be cool to be the man or the woman that walks by on the fourth day and says, in the name of Jesus, get up. Elijah, get up. Moses, get up. You're not quite done yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if yeah. I mean, it doesn't say they laid there and didn't decay. They've been dead. They are left to make an example of them. The book of Revelation says they laid dead. They're killed by the Antichrist. And they, they, live, they leave their bodies in the streets as a spectacle. And we believe that the thing that happens to a body happens in four days of laying in the Middle East sun. And then they get up. And the scripture says, and the whole world sees it. Yeah. You don't think that's televised? You don't think there's some news broadcasters looking, uh, 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 going to the weather? <laughs> you know what I mean? Now, why not? Why not? Why not now? Why not here? Nikki? Nikki's telling the story of her uncle who is in Africa, a regular guy just over there preaching, using an interpreter. People on the stream can't hear you. That's why I'm repeating it. So. They brought a man up that was dead, laid him on the platform. They didn't, know he was dead. didn't know he was dead. He thought the guy was just sick, but the guy was dead. <laughs> didn't know he was dead. Kept preaching because he didn't it wasn't time for prayer yet. And the word of God raised the man. And a guy got up just from the word of God. Yeah, never touched him. Yeah. You want to hear a funny the other direction? All right. Completely sacrilegious in comparison to the wanting God to do something. Dr. Rutland told me a story. He said the very he'd he'd grown up Methodist. He'd been Methodist. He'd never been around Pentecost. He said, the very first person I ever heard speak in tongues was me, was himself. He went to a Christian businessman's deal. People were praying. He heard something. He thought, who in the world is doing that here? And he realized it was him. <laughs> All right. It was that out of it with, he said, it wasn't that long after that. He said, we were, or maybe before that, he was asked to come preach in this Mexican setting, all Hispanics, um, he said, I'd never been in a Pentecostal meeting in my life. And he said, it, I preached and it came down for the altar call. A bunch of people came forward. And he said, and the very first person I just reached out and touched my hand. He said, it was like, it's like I had a gun and I just shot him. He said, I just touched him. And this big lady just fell straight. Boom. He said, I'd never seen. He said, oh my Lord, what, is, what happened? He's thinking she's had a stroke or she's had a heart attack. Something has happened to her. He said, people didn't act like it was that big a deal. And he said, so I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to pray for somebody else. <laughs> he said, I reached out and, and, and he said, it was a guy. Boom. And that guy fell over. And he, he said, I turned to the guy that was in charge of the meeting. I said, what? I don't know what's happening. Is, is, is some, are they, you know, he said, oh, no, don't worry about it. They're just being slain. He said, that's exactly what I thought. He said, <laughs> he said, 
God's in the room. He's killing Mexicans, you know. <laughs> and uh, he said, you have to admit, have to admit that we have a pretty, pretty uh, uh, um, inaccurate vocabulary. You know, God's slaying people in the spirit. He said, to anybody else in the world, that means that he's killing them. He said, and that's what I thought was happening. He said, I, he said, I don't want to touch anybody else for fear that God would kill somebody. And he said, so, you know, we have a pretty weird, you know, language for that. So, yeah, it's good though, isn't it? Those of you that didn't grow up in this, I didn't grow up in this. The first Pentecostal meeting I was ever in, I thought, who are these people? <laughs> Remember that old story? It's a joke. You, you know, the guy goes, you know, first Pentecostal meeting, he says, dude, where's the back door? He says, we don't have a back door. He says, where do you want it? <laughs> yeah, I'm about to make one for you. I'm about to, get, I'm about to burst out of here. God has some things he wants to do. I don't think they'll fit into our paradigms. Two dead guys get up on the streets of Jerusalem after being dead for four days. It is a spectacle that nobody expects. I think when God supernaturally shows up, he, he steps outside. Let me give you one more little nugget. My doctorate is I'm studying systems. My, my doctoral project is about systems, systems thinking in, the, in, in, pastors, in pastors, in church. I can't, I can't suggest a bunch of systems. I just have to narrow it. And, but the Lord has always, I've started doing the theology of it. And everything that he does is the creation of a system. The, your, your respiratory system, your, your digestive system, your reproductive system, your, the, 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 the rain, the, there, is a, there is a system that God put into place by which the water that rains onto the earth gets into the atmosphere. It evaporates. It, see what I mean? It condenses. There's a system that he puts in place. It's everywhere. The cells in your body uh, operate in biological systems where ATP, which is, don't worry about it, it's a big, long chemical name. There are so many ATPs produced. The photosynthesis system by which plants, it's, it's systems. Your, your blood clots in a system, everything, systems everywhere. Do you know all a miracle is? All a miracle is, is God says, you know, I'm just going to step outside the system for a moment. That's all. We think it's a really big deal. But the one who made every... All right, cancer is operating in a system that is mutated in your body. Cancer is not... Can, we think of cancer like it's, this, it's always a tumor. It's not. Lots of cancer isn't, isn't a contained tumor. It spreads, it metastasizes into the body. All cancer is is a is a perversion of the RNA so that the wrong kind of cell makes. And if, if your lung is exchanging oxygen and you get lung cancer, all that is is a cell that makes something that doesn't do what lung tissue is supposed to do. A, a brain tumor is simply the wrong kind of cell being made in your brain and it's replacing the right cells until it compromises a critical system. That's what kills you. So it's nothing for God to say, you know, I'm going to step outside this system for a minute and I'm just going to do this instead. We go, oh my goodness. And God was like, you know, that, that, that was nothing for me. 
I just stepped outside of all the systems that I created and did something that wasn't natural. It was above natural. The, the prefix for above is supra. I did something supranatural. That's where we get the word from. But it's just God doing what he can do. Amen? So let's pray and ask the Lord tonight. Lord, you give me opportunities to step into moments. Maybe I'm supposed to pray. Maybe I'm supposed to share. But Lord, you make me aware of who you are. And when you do, let me do it plain. And without any, doesn't have to have any decoration on it. You just be you and do what the Lord asks you to do. Father, for all those in the room, those online, we ask that you would give us effective opportunities to share your gospel. And when we do, to make it plain like we ought. Whether that be through a demonstration of your supernatural power, or whether that be just an act of kindness, Anything, Father, anything that you can do to build your kingdom, open our eyes and make us aware of the opportunities around us. In Jesus' name, amen.